Sophie's World, by Justine Gardner. Plato, a longing to return to the realm of the soul. Out of the darkness of the cave, Plato relates a myth which illustrates this. We call it the myth of the cave. I'll retell it in my own words. Imagine some people living in an underground cave. They sit with their backs to the mouth of the cave, with their heads and feet bound in such a way that they can only look at the back wall of the cave. Behind them is a high wall, and behind that wall, pass human-like creatures holding up various figures above the top of the wall. Because there is a fire behind these figures, they cast flickering shadows on the black back wall of the cave. So the only thing the cave dwellers can see is a shadow play. They have been sitting in this position since they were born, so they think these shadows are all that there are. Imagine now that one of the cave dwellers managed to free himself from his bonds. The first thing that asks himself is, "Where are all the shadows coming from? What do you think?" Happens when he turns around and sees the figures being held up above the wall. To begin, he is dazzled by the sharp sunlight. He is also dazzled by the clarity of the figures because until now, he has only seen their shadow. If he manages to climb over the wall and get past the fire into the world outside, he will be even more dazzled. But after rubbing his eyes. He will be struck by the beauty of everything. For the first time, he will see colors and clear shapes. He will see the real animals and flowers that the cave shadows were only poor reflections of. But even now, he will ask himself where all the animals and flowers come from. Then he will see the sun in the sky, and realizes this is what gives life to these flowers and animals. Just as the fire made the shadows visible, this joyful cave dweller could now have gone skipping away into the countryside, delighting in his newfound freedom. But instead, he thinks of all the others who are still down there in the cave. He goes back. Once there, he tries to convince the cave dwellers that the shadows on the cave wall are but flickering reflections of real. Things, but they don't believe him. They point to the cave wall and say that that is what they see is all there is. Finally, sadly, they kill him. What Plato was illustrating in the myth of the cave is that the philosopher's road from shadowy images to the true ideas behind all natural phenomena. He was probably thinking of Socrates, whom the cave dwellers. Killed because he disturbed their conventional ideas and tried to light the way to true insight. The myth of the cave illustrates Socrates' courage and his sense of pedagogic responsibility. Plato's point was that the relationship between the darkness of the cave and the world beyond corresponds to the relationship between the forms of the natural world and the world of the ideas. Not to mention that he meant that the natural world is dark and dreary, but that it is dark and dreary in comparison with the clarity of ideas. 
A picture of a beautiful landscape is not dark and dreary either, but it is only a picture. The philosophic state. The myth of the cave is found in Plato's dialogue, The Republic. In this dialogue, Plato also presents a picture of the ideal state, that is to say, an imaginary ideal, or what we would call the utopian state. Briefly, we could say that Plato believed the state should be governed by philosophers. He bases his explanation of this on the construction of the human body. According to Plato, the human body is composed of three parts: the head, the chest, and the abdomen. For each of these three parts, there is a corresponding fa- fa- faculty of the soul. Reason belong- belongs to the head. Will belongs to the chest, and appetite belongs to the abdomen. Each of these soul faculties has an ideal or virtue. Reason aspires to wisdom, will aspires to courage, and appetite must be curbed so that temperance can be exercised. Only when the three parts of the body function together as a unity, do we get a harmonious or virtuous individual. At school, a child must learn first learn to curb its appetites, then it must develop courage, and finally. Reason leads to wisdom. Plato now images a state built up exactly like the tripartite human body, where the body has a chest, head, and abdomen. The state has rulers, auxiliaries, and laborers, farmers, for example. Here, Plato clearly uses Greek medical science as his model. Just as healthy and harmonious men exercises balance and temperance. So a virtuous state is characterized by everyone knowing their place in the overall picture. Like every aspect in Plato's philosophy, his political philosophy is characterized by rationalism. The creation of good state depends on its being governed with reason. Just as the head governs the body, so philosophers must rule society. Let us attempt to. Illustra- uh, let us attempt a simple illustration of the relationship between the three parts of the man and the state: body, head, chest, abdomen, soul, reason, will, appetite, virtue, wisdom, courage, temperance, state, rulers, auxiliaries, laborers. Plato's ideal state is not unlike the old Hindu caste system, in which each and every person has his or her particular function for the good of the whole. Even before Plato's time, the Hindu caste system had the same tripartite division between the auxiliary caste or prius caste, the warrior caste, and the laborer caste. Nowadays, we would perhaps call Plato's state total rotation, but it is worth noting that he believed women could govern just as efficiently as men, for the simple reason that rulers govern by re- virtue of their reason. Women, he asserted, have exactly the same powers of reasoning as men.
providing they get the same treating and are exempt from child rearing and housekeeping. In Plato's ideal state, rulers and warriors are not allowed family life or private property. The rearing of children is considered too important to be left to left to the individual and should be the responsibility of the state. Plato was the first philosopher to advocate state-organized nursery schools and full-time education. After a number of significant political setbacks, Plato wrote the Laws, in which he described the constitutional state as the next best state. He now reintroduced both private property and family ties. Women's freedoms thus became more restricted. However. He did say that the state does not educate and train women is like a man who only trains his right arm. All in all, we can say that Plato had a positive view of women, considering the time he lived in. In the dialogue *Sympathism*, he gives the woman, the legendary priestess Diotima, the honor of having given Socrates his philosophic insight. So that was Plato, Sophie. His astonishing theories have been discussed and criticized for more than two thousand years. The first man to do so was one of his pupils from his own academy. His name was Aristotle, and he was the third great philosopher from Athens. I'll say no more. While Sophie had been reading about Plato. The sun had risen over the woods to the east. It was peeping over the horizon just as she was reading. How one man clambered out of the cave and blinked in the dazzling light outside. It was almost as if she had herself emerged from the underground cave. Sophie felt that she saw nature in a completely different way after reading about Plato. It was rather like having been colorblind. She had not seen some shadows. But had not seen the clear ideas. She was sure that Plato was right in everything he had said about the eternal patterns, but it was a beautiful thought that all living things were imperfect copies of the internal forms of the world of ideas. Because it wasn't true, wasn't it true that all flowers, trees, and human beings and animals were imperfect? Everything she saw was so beautiful and alive that Sophie had to rub her eyes to really believe it. But nothing she was looking at would last. And yet, in a hundred years, the same flowers and the same animals would be here again. Even if every single flower and every single animal should fade away and should be forgotten. There would be something that recollected how it all looked. Sophie gazed out at the wood. Suddenly, a squirrel ran up the trunk of a pine tree. It circled the trunk a few times and disappeared into the branches. I've seen you before, thought Sophie. She realized that maybe it was not the same squirrel that she had seen previously, but she hadn't seen the same form. For all she knew, Plato could have been right. Maybe she really had seen the eternal squirrel before, in the world of ideas, before her soul had taken residence in a human body. 
Could it be true that she had lived before? Had her soul existed before it got a body to move around in? And was it really true that she could be carried that she could carried a little golden nugget inside her? A drool that cannot be corroded by time, a soul that could live on when her own body grew old and died? <laughs>